and welcome to the January installment of the Shameless Book Club. This month we tore through Daisy Jones and the Sixth, the sixth novel from best-selling author Taylor Jenkins Reid that looks at the whirlwind rise of a fictional, iconic 1970s rock group and their beautiful lead singer, revealing the mystery behind their infamous breakup. What did we make of the love-hate relationship between Daisy and Billy? What did the book say about love, monogamy, drugs, loneliness and fame? And of course, how did we feel about a book that was told entirely through interview transcripts? Before we get into it, I need to welcome my beloved co-hosts, Zara McDonald, Annabelle Lee. How are we doing? Hi. Good to be here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think I might be the most excited to get into this episode on this book compared to every other book club episode we've done thus far. Easily. Definitely. I'm a bit sick of hearing myself saying, this is my favourite book yet, <laughs> but this has got to top the, the rest of them. Spoiler you're, alert. You've been way too far ahead of yourself. We've got half an hour before we get to that. Ladies, before I hear your thoughts, let's throw to Keely. Keely did call our hotline. She wanted to talk about whether or not Daisy Jones and the Six was actually a real band. Hi, Mish and Zara. I'm just wanting to talk about Daisy Jones and the Six for the book club this month. It was the first book club I've ever joined in on and I'm really glad I joined in with this book because it is one of my new favourites, honestly. What I wanted to say about it was I got like halfway through the novel before I realised that it was not a real band. It wasn't actually a biographical piece, but it was a false band because Taylor Jenkins Reid just had all of their voices. They were all so distinct from each other and they were all such strong characters unbelievable characters, which I loved. Keely, I have to agree. Guys, this is an embarrassing admission, but I knew that the band was fictional. Like I went into this knowing Taylor Jenkins Reid's work. I've read her books before. I knew this was not a real band. And yet the author's note at the start where she said, oh, this was eight years of interviews. I wanted to look back at the real reason this band split. I literally was like, that's an author's note. So does that mean this is a real... Like, she completely threw me. Did she throw you, Zara? Uh, No, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think because so much of the commentary I'd read before reading Daisy Jones and the Six was the comparison between Daisy Jones and the Six, the band, and Fleetwood Mac, Mm -hmm. I was just so intrigued to get into the book and read all about what parts of Fleetwood Mac had inspired the book. So, I mean, a bit of background on Taylor Jenkins Reid before we properly jump in. She is the author of six books, including The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which have you read, Annabelle? No, I haven't. This is Daisy Jones and the Six is the first Taylor Jenkins Reid book I've read. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is a banger. I'm actually, I don't know which one's better, Me but either. they're both epic. If you're coming into this having read Daisy Jones and the Six, pick up The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo straight away because you're like guaranteed to like it. But I think as I was reading this book, all I could think about was Fleetwood Mac and imagining them recording their very famous album, Rumours. I think it's like one of the only albums I know. Like I'm not really a music person to the point where I knew like how many songs are in albums and things like that. But that is a really iconic album, isn't it? So I was imagining that the whole time. And I remember reading this quote from uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid in The Guardian where she said, I wanted to write about the conflict between characters who have this amazing ability to create things together, but personal relationships that are much more fraught. We've seen many examples of that in rock, the most obvious being Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham. Fleetwood Mac are a band and a soap opera. I had no idea about this. I know nothing about 70s music. Music. But somehow the depiction of like rock and roll in this book made me feel kind of like nostalgic. It made yeah, me feel like a lot nostalgic of nostalgia. for yeah. something we didn't even live through. Yeah. I was like, God, the 70s were yeah. 
for a baby. <laughs> like, back in the 70s. Like, not even my mum was really living yeah. through then. Like, it's just crazy to feel so nostalgic for something we can't really even relate to, right? Exactly. And I also read a lot of commentary in our Facebook group from people saying, oh, I didn't know this band wasn't real. So I went into reading the book knowing that Daisy Jones and the Six wasn't real. But once I started reading it, I will be honest with you, I had to double check with Google and ask Google whether they were real or not. I think I was wishing that they were real. Reading it being like, it's so realistic. I wish there was more I could read on this band and not just sort of it be in the confines of this one novel. And it's an absolute credit to Taylor Jenkins Reid, right? Like it is a credit to her as an artist and a writer that she can be so convincing and can make you doubt yourself. Like she's one of the few authors where I feel like I read her work and I'm completely completely transported and I completely opt into every character. It's all just so, so believable. But just to touch on the Stevie Nicks, Lindsay Buckingham parallels, there really truly are so many compared with their dynamic in Fleetwood Mac and Daisy Jones and the Six, of course, with Daisy and Billy. I just want to read this as a bit of brief history for anyone who might be a bit confused. Nicks and Buckingham both dated, but they split because Buckingham, quote, wanted Nicks all to himself and began to distrust her. Like, not not trusting each other and being unfaithful or wanting to kind of see other people while seeing each other was a huge central theme in their relationship and the breakup of that band. That tension led to the album Rumours. That is their best-selling album. The album is filled with storylines about their dynamic, about why they don't trust each other, but they still love each other, but they can't love each other fully. So it really does feel like Aurora in this book is very, very much inspired by Rumours. Absolutely. I mean, that album is like so iconic, that song, Go Your Own Way, that is written by one of them about the other. Someone sing it. Who wants to take it away? I literally refuse. Someone put it, Google it on Spotify or whatever you want to call it. I did want to talk about the Amazon adaption very quickly before we jump into the sort of the nitty gritty of this book because it's pretty bloody exciting that this is going to be a 13-part series adapted by Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine. I mean, I can't think of a better person to take the helm of this. A couple of things that are really interesting about this adaptation, Riley Keough has signed on to star as Daisy. I don't know if you guys have heard of Riley Keough, but she's the granddaughter of Elvis Presley. Wow. She's like an actress in her own right has been nominated for Golden Globes or I think a single Golden Globe in the past but I just thought that was a really interesting touch with Mm. this adaptation the second thing is a much dumber fact Camilla is being played by Camilla Marone so Camilla being played by Camilla I don't know why I appreciate facts like that and thirdly they are writing the score for this based on the lyrics that Taylor Jenkins Reid wrote in the back of that book so there's going to be an entire soundtrack to this adaptation which could very much rival A Star Is Born like remember how iconic those songs were when that film came out I can't tell you how happy that makes me because one of the top voted reviews on Goodreads was fuck I wish these songs existed in real Mm. life and now they will exactly but imagine the pressure for the people writing these songs because this is meant to be the most iconic band of all time fictionally (laughs) and the most iconic album of all time so writing the songs that have been described and that are almost already in people's heads must be insane so we actually tried to look up when this Amazon series was going to be released Mm -hmm. we struggled to find Uh -uh. it it's so hard but this has been in the works since 2018 I think casting happened pretty recently Final casting did. Yeah. I think it was optioned. What I'm reading is it the series was announced on July 25, 2018, but the book itself wasn't released until 2019. So early versions of this book must have been picked up. Like people knew Taylor Jenkins Reid was onto a winner. Oh, I think Reese knew that Taylor Jenkins Reid was on a winner and she tends to know. She's got her finger on the pulse. <laughs> 
All right, guys, time to hear what everyone thought about the structure of this book. It was completely different to any other book I have read personally. Before I hear your thoughts, Annabelle and Zara, let's hear from listener Bonnie. I just wanted to weigh in on this month's book. I really loved it. The format of the book was so unusual and unique. And I actually found that this format made the story even more compelling and raw because it allowed the flawed and captivating natures of the characters to come to life. So unlike normal books where you get maybe just one perspective or at most three perspectives, with this format you were able to see the character from all these different perspectives. So thank you for picking this book. Annabelle, this was the first book I've read that was entirely in interview format. Of course, we had different people. I think there were 12 characters who were interspersed throughout with different lines in this book. What did you think of the interview format and that style? Well, I won't lie to you. I didn't love it at the start because I too had never read anything like that ever before. I thought that maybe the book would be broken up by other kinds of chapters, perhaps by a narrator in a chapter and then go back to the interview format. Mm -hmm. And then it would become kind of like a rhythm and a routine. But it was all interview style, which I wasn't (laughs) a fan of, just because like I've read a lot of people reviewing this book saying that they didn't like how the interview style meant that they couldn't really hear the inner thoughts of the characters, just kind of their subjective perspectives and everything. And they thought that was a downfall of the book. After reading the whole thing, I completely disagree with that sentiment. Ah, okay. So you began not liking it, but then Taylor Jenkins Reid kind of got you on board, what, a third of the way in? Oh, like 50 pages in. It was an easy get. Zara? I think this is interesting because I think a lot of people were saying first and foremost that we touched on before that they thought the band sounded incredibly real but also that maybe the style took a little bit to get into and I think those two things are like inextricably linked I think the reason that it sounded and felt so believable was because it was exactly in this style and the characters were like so fleshed out themselves I mean when Taylor Jenkins Reid did an interview with Rolling Stone upon the release of this book she said I wanted you to feel interested in it and not like you were reading fiction but like you were there For me, the best way to do that was to mimic what I would argue is the best medium for stories about rock, which is a rock documentary. So I think it's kind of like you can't really have your cake and eat it too. I know Mm. we used that saying on the podcast this week, Michelle. (laughs) But it is a little bit like that. And I have to say I adored the style from the start. I had read a bit of commentary in our Facebook group before I'd opened the book where people said it maybe took them a little bit to get into. Some people posted saying, should I keep going? I'm 50 pages in. It's not hooking me. So I was expecting that. But I was hooked from the first page and thought that this structure was genius. And I'm surprised that people haven't tried to copy it or rip it off. I know. I mean, I have an interesting dynamic with this book. I first heard about Daisy Jones and the Six Zara when we had our first meeting with our book editor, Izzy. And we this got was, given it. We got given really? it. This was 2019. And I remember Izzy saying to us, you guys are going to love this. It's an incredible book. It's telling the story of a fictional band entirely through interviews. And Izzy, our editor, was so excited. I remember thinking... Fuck that. That sounds you, so dry. Do you remember? Oh, I hope Izzy's not listening. <laughs> we got into the lift after being handed that book because we just had one of our first meetings and she was like, try this new book. And we got into the lift and I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to read that. Like in my mind, I had thought it was like a play. Mm. And I was like, I don't yes. know if I can consume something that's written like that. So it has been sitting on my bookshelf since then. You know, the embarrassing thing. I forgot that I even had it, so I bought a second (laughs) copy. And then I looked at my bookshelf, I'm like, Izzy gave it to us ages ago. So apologies to our editor. But I actually think the interview format, first of all, hooked me from page one. Didn't even need 50 pages. The average fiction book I pick up, I probably need that buffering time to really get into the groove of things. 
This had me quicker than any other book has ever had me. And it kept me until the very, very end. And I think the storytelling was absolutely dependent on this particular structure. I feel like the ways different storylines emerged and the ways sentences were kind of interspersed with the other and people Mm. were interspersed with the other was so beautiful and so powerful. Like it was so incredibly gripping. And I actually think the dynamic in particular between Karen and Graham was done justice by doing this interview. Well, I think that leads me to one of my favourite parts about this book. And I think one of my favourite parts about the book was that it played so much on memory. And you have these characters who were there at the same time experiencing the same things with completely different perspectives on how it all played out. Another example that stood out to me beyond the Karen and Graham one, Mish, was was the Billy and Daisy. I remember they were sitting down and they were writing a song together and Daisy came to the interview saying it was very clear that Billy was writing these lyrics about me, like it started to get a bit weird. And he was coming to the interview saying, you just don't really know where you get this inspiration from. (laughs) Or the times when they people would comment that Billy and Daisy's relationship was really fractured and they were fighting all the time and then Billy and Daisy would come and say, I think that was one of our best periods. And it's like (laughs) it, it, it constantly baffles me how two people or three people or five people can be in the same place and always remember what happened differently. I also loved hearing those perspectives with hindsight, like they had hindsight behind yeah. them to be able to relook at those moments and kind of see things differently. I, I loved reading regret, regret in people's voices when they were like, oh, I wish I didn't do that or I wish I'd said this and I didn't. It was just so nice to be able to read that and I've never read that before and I feel like we'll be saying a lot today, oh, Taylor Jenkins Reid did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> she just did a fantastic job. I mean, I was going to go to the effort of saying she's a like a bloody genius, <laughs> but that's fine. One small gripe, I know you touched on memory then, Zara, and how you loved that it incorporated that theme of memory and people remembering things differently. I did struggle with it in moments when it was just like a fleeting thought every now and then that I truly don't believe anyone can remember that amount of detail, even if you remember it partly wrong. I don't think you can remember whole years sometimes. Like I'm 26. I try and think back to what I was doing at 23 and maybe it's because my life at 23 wasn't interesting so there's nothing to remember. I think that's exactly it. Like all of us wouldn't be able to have the same perspective and say I could remember what I was doing 10 years ago. But I think in the context of this book when they are, one of the most famous bands in the world and their rise is documented Mm. publicly too. It's very easy to remember stuff when it's documented everywhere and you have 10 people doing it. True. And I guess lyrics of songs and albums diarise your life. So it might transport you back to that time. You might be able to recall it better. And I think this is the only example where it could work because otherwise I agree with you. There are some times where I think about people's books or memoirs and you're like, how do you remember all of that? There's no way. But in this case, I think it worked. I truly didn't look at the page number. I do that with every book I read. I'm always like, what page? page number am I up to? How many pages is it? Oh, I'm halfway through. I didn't do that once with this book. Yeah. And I think that's the first book in my life I didn't do it for. Oh, here, here. Go Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> She's fast becoming my second favourite Taylor, by the way. Taylor Swift, Taylor oh. Jenkins Reid. <laughs> Coming up after the break, our favourite characters and the parts of this book that didn't quite land. But first, a word from today's sponsor. All right, guys, time to hear from Vanessa. She's the listener who wanted to speak about her favourite characters. Hey, Miss Sharon, Annabelle. I really loved the way this book was written. What stood out for me most was the strong female characters in this book. You had Camilla, who was such a strong wife and mother, which is so amazing in its own right. And then you had Daisy, who, you know, she wore what she wanted, she did what she wanted, and she didn't care what anyone else thought. 
And then you had Karen, who, you know, was more conservative about the way she dressed, but she did what she wanted and she wanted a career and she chose that over a life with children. And I thought it was, yeah, really cool to have such three strong female characters that were so diverse. All right, guys, I certainly have a long list of characters I want to speak about. In fact, there are so many characters in this book, it's surprising that, like, you can even know who's who by the end of it. But Zara, let's start with you. Favourite character? You've got to give me a number one. Oh, God. I, I have to give you two. I can't. Nah, I think they'll, give be, me one. <laughs> they'll be the classic two. I loved Karen. I loved Karen and Camilla. That's obvious. <laughs> I think so many young women reading this book would find so much to adore in Karen and Camilla. Karen, for me, was just this complete, dare I say, badass. Like she just completely seemed to reject any type of societal norms that were thrust upon her. And there was this brilliant back and forth between her and Graham when she wanted to have the abortion and Graham didn't want to have the baby. And I wanted to read it out because this has kind of encapsulated why I loved her so much. She said, I told Graham I decided to have an abortion and he said I was crazy. And I told him I wasn't. And he asked me not to do it. I said, are you going to quit this ban and raise this baby? And he didn't respond and that was it. Then Graham comes in and he said, I thought we were still discussing it. Karen says, he knew. He knew what I was going to do. He just feels more comfortable pretending he didn't. He has that luxury. And I don't know about you guys, but when it came to the storyline of Karen, I was infuriated. Like there was definite anger that stew in me because even though this was the 70s and we're in 2021 and access to abortion is maybe perhaps a little bit easier and there's less pressure on us to be the sole carer of a baby, I also don't know if that much has changed. Like that line, are you going to quit the band to raise this baby? And he didn't respond and he has the luxury of pretending that he didn't really remember what transpired during those conversations was really searing to me and like I said it it made me a bit angry. Oh me too that's why I think she was my favourite character the most because I think I loved all of the female characters a lot like Camilla, Karen and Daisy but Karen was perhaps the most low-key in her strength like she was so cool about having an opinion and sticking to it and that's what I loved about her. Mm. I do want to read one quote that I also really loved from Karen when she was talking about the abortion and the dynamic between her and Graham. The one that stood out to me though Zara was on page 355 and it is sorry if this is a long readout by the way but I love it. Sometimes I wonder, if I was Graham, would I have wanted a baby too? If I knew someone else would raise it, someone else would let go of their own dreams, someone else would sacrifice and keep everything together while I went and did what I wanted and came back on the weekends, maybe then I would want a baby too. That, I just, oh my God, when I read that, I was like, fuck Yes. Like, of course he wants a baby. Yeah. He just gets to come home and be like, oh, cute thing that yeah. I made. And that's Playtime. a pretty cool thing I did one time. Well, she has to give up everything. And I think that was sobering for me as well, Zara. Reading that, I was like, that's still the friggin' attitude. Yeah. I think that's what I found hard because I kept asking myself how much has changed. And yes, you can find like a great partner who wants to give up their job too as much as you want to give up yours but the reality is society around you hasn't changed that much and the pressure will feel intense if it ever happens. Controversial opinion I'll throw this to you Annabelle I wonder if you agree with me I didn't hate Graham I actually quite liked Graham and I quite liked how this storyline played out yes his willful naivety and how he dug his own head in the sand and how lots of men do that But I also had sympathy and empathy for him reading about it, reading about him putting his head against the glass and thinking, this is a woman I love more than anyone else in the world and I want to have a baby with her. I know that it might not be the most feminist angle for me to bring to this podcast, 
but I did have something for Graham and I did feel for him when he was speaking about how deeply he loved this person and how desperately he wanted to be with her. No, I agree with you. Graham actually was my favourite character at the beginning. But really? As, yeah, I just think because he <laughs> You was, always pick the most obscure <laughs> characters to love. Like, oh, Eddie's my fave. Yeah, no, I hated it. Honestly, fuck Eddie. Everyone, fuck, <laughs> fuck Eddie. No, but Graham seemed so easy to sympathise with and it was because he had such a big heart and he was so loving and he like he stood by Billy who took the limelight a lot and he loved Karen so much and I just don't think there was bad intentions there with Graham Mm. but as my love and respect for Karen grew throughout the book and Graham started you know doing some dodgy stuff I didn't love him as much by the end did you love him Sarah no, I found I found the willful ignorance really hard to get over. And I, I do understand it's a complicated thing when a baby is terminated and maybe two people feel very differently about it. Like, that's a really complicated dynamic. That bit that I read out when Karen asked him, like, will you quit the band and raise the baby? He didn't turn around and say yes. Like, if you want the baby that badly, then offer something to the table. The willful ignorance drove me up the wall. You're making me mad at Graham now. Yeah. As you're speaking, I'm like, yeah, Graham, Jesus, like, like pull it together. Give up what you ever you want for this kid if you want it that bad. We need to talk about Camilla. Camilla, I loved Karen. She's my number two, though. My number one, my absolute number one is Camilla. I just adored her. And I think I adored how fiercely she fought for herself. I read some commentary in the Facebook group that some people thought there was like a little bit of ignorance or like a little bit of weakness with just letting Billy kind of run riot for those few years. But I didn't see that as that. I actually saw that as strength that Camilla was not going to let Billy drive her life into the ground. Camilla was going to stand her ground and be like, this is the life I want and I will craft it for myself and I will fight tooth and nail to get what I want. And I loved her. I also loved, as part of Camilla, the storyline about monogamy, that maybe marriage and maybe monogamy is not as simple as we want it to be and maybe it's an important part of self-exploration to be in love with multiple people at once. Did you love Camilla as much as I did, Annabelle? I loved Camilla and I completely agree with everything you just said but there's this confusion still in me. When I was reading that love triangle between Camilla, Billy and Daisy, Camilla seemed to me too good of a person for Billy Yet I was still, for some reason, rooting for Billy and Daisy to get together. I didn't like how that love story made me second guess my moral compass. I was never rooting for Billy and Daisy. I wanted them to get together at certain points. I didn't at all. I wanted Daisy to back off. I think I was probably somewhere between the both of you. Like I felt (laughs) I had a complicated relationship with Billy and Daisy because I did want Camilla and Billy to end up together. But there's something in the book that makes you think that Daisy and Billy have something like incredible. But what obviously the book tells you is that that passion is not like longstanding. Like that's not the most important thing. I mean, one of my favourite quotes from Camilla was she said early on in the book, I think you have to have faith in people before they earn it. Otherwise it's not faith, is it? And I was like, that's strength to me. That's not weakness. To have faith in people when they may not deserve it. But when, as you say, Mish, you want your life to turn out in a certain way, like that is like the epitome of strength. There's this anecdote about Camilla that's a bit long, but if you'll allow me to read it out, I really oh, want to. Be my, this is my favourite part of this book club. <laughs> read to me. It was when Karen was talking about Camilla and she was talking about how Camilla's no wallflower and she gives this really obscure but brilliant is the example. Thing? It's a burger thing. <laughs> 
You know, people think of Camilla as following Billy everywhere, taking care of Billy all the time, but it wasn't like that. She was a force to be reckoned with. She got what she wanted almost all the time. She was persuasive and kind of pushy, although you never really realised you were being pushed, but she was opinionated and knew how to get her way. I remember this one time she and Billy came down into the living room one morning, just a bit before noon. We were all in last night's jeans, that kind of thing. We weren't going into the studio until much later. Camilla said, you all want to make a big breakfast? Pancakes, waffles, bacon, eggs, the whole night? But Billy had heard Graham and I were about to get a burger and he wanted to go with us. So Camilla said, I'll just make your burgers here. And we said, fine. So she sent Billy out for hamburger meat and told him to get bacon too and eggs for tomorrow. (laughs) Then she fired up the grill and came in to tell us the burger meat Billy got didn't look so good. So she'd just make bacon. While she was making bacon, might as well make eggs. And if she had the eggs out, might as well make some pancakes too. (laughs) Suddenly it was 1.30 and we were all sitting around the table to eat a brunch and there wasn't a single burger in sight. All of it tasted great and no one even noticed what she had done except me that's what I loved about her she was no wallflower you just had to be paying attention to see it oh that's good it's good and the way that Taylor sort of drops these anecdotes really early to set up these characters I think is genius I'm sorry for keep saying (laughs) but she is it's so true the other anecdote I really loved and I found really poignant when it came to the dynamic between Billy and Camilla was how Camilla went and slept with her ex-boyfriend. Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually loved this and I loved the way it was outlined in the book. This is what I loved when Billy was speaking to the interviewer. In that moment, I knew what had happened between her and Gary Egan, whether she still felt anything for him, how he felt about her, anything that might have taken place. All of that wasn't my business. It wasn't anything she wanted to share. That was a singular moment for her and it had nothing to do with me. That just like... I don't know. I read that and I was like, fuck. It made so much sense. Yeah, like, of course it has something to do with her. And then later on in the book you find out that, yes, that was like her first love that she'd been rejected from. And maybe she did need to go have sex with him to, like, live a fulfilled life and kind of put a, I don't know, dot point on the end of that. Is that stupid? No, because you read it and you think that makes sense. And then if I thought about the reality of that happening with me and my partner, I'd be like, wait, that makes no sense. (laughs) I never would have thought that if I didn't read that in this book. So thank you, Taylor, for broadening my perspective. Absolutely. (laughs) We hated Eddie. Did we hate... Oh, wait, we haven't talked about Daisy. Should we talk about Daisy? Daisy, yeah. Uh, Daisy was one of my favourite characters. She was maybe a bit of a cliche. Like, I feel like she's a familiar character to me. Not that I know much about the 70s and, like, rock and roll. (laughs) But she reminded me kind of of Penny Lane in Almost Famous, even though Penny was a groupie. But she was a star of the show in her own way. I have no idea what you just said. I haven't watched that (laughs) film, but I feel like people will know what you're talking about. Is it a film or a TV series? It's a film. It's a film. So she's, like, a groupie, but she's, like, super headstrong and she knows what she wants and she just, like, always attracts a lot of attention from everyone. And I loved that about Daisy and I loved that she knew that she had that ability. But because of the other female characters and they had, I feel, like more nuanced complexity Daisy was my least favorite female character I think you're right I think she was a tiny bit of a cliche in that like big personality tiny on the inside like really really strong but also really really weak and I did actually struggle with Daisy from time to time I sometimes felt like she was impossibly selfish but then I would try and catch myself because I was like what parts of her are a byproduct of her addiction and what parts of her are just her and I think that's very much the conversation around addiction right you don't know what parts of you are the addiction and what parts of you are you but then I read this quote from Taylor Jenkins Reid that kind of helped me understand 
why she wrote Daisy as she is. And she told Rolling Stone, I think the biggest thing for me is that especially when you're writing about fake famous people, I think the most important thing you can do is make them feel human and human beings just don't make any sense. That was kind of comforting to me because Daisy didn't make a whole lot of sense to me sometimes when she was making decisions. Yeah, I struggled to see Daisy more than any other character, I think. I, I kind of feel neutral to her. I think she was obviously crucial to the plot yeah. and like crucial to the book, but I didn't feel anything strongly. I didn't hate her, didn't love her. I found her frustrating. The marriage to the Italian prince slash not prince was truly befuddling. I got to the point where... Was Taylor Jenkins Reid trying to give us the impression that he actually wasn't a prince, he was just a drug addict and he had, like, fooled her? Because there was a comment in the book that he was, like, a scam artist or a con artist or something. And I'm like, is he not a prince and she's just been confused in this, like, drug-addled state? I do remember that. That was from Warren, who yeah. is also one of my favourites. Oh, Warren <laughs> gave great commentary. But, yeah, I do remember that. That didn't click for me that he was a scam artist in terms of, like, he scammed Daisy and made her believe he was a prince. Because he never paid for anything. He had no money. Yeah. She was constantly paying for everything. <gasps> they were putting stuff on her credit cards. Was he actually a prince or was she just completely led astray? Well, I got a bit confused because then there was commentary being like, well, he's obviously not a prince prince because Italy didn't have a royal family in the 70s maybe he's a descendant of like princes yeah. and princesses and that's where I was like I don't care enough to I do this out. yeah like <laughs> it's just a fucked up marriage and that's as much as we can give I mean we mentioned Eddie he can get fucked I've got nothing to say about mm-hmm. him I did love Pete and I want to know if, but I want to know if you guys realize or if I'm just the idiot that Pete didn't have a line <laughs> I was like I loved Pete from the periphery of everyone else describing Pete and then got to the end and realized hold on Pete didn't have a line he had one line yeah, at the end. Yeah. Well, yeah. he had one really? line and he said, I'm not tell- I'm not talking to you about this. I now own, what was it, an AstroTurf company? Yes. Yeah. That was oh, yeah. But that's what I loved so much about him is that every time he was mentioned in the book, it was always sort of with such ambivalence towards the band. He yeah. was always in a really loving relationship. He knew it wasn't the be all and end all. And I just thought that was like a really wonderful addition. <laughs> like I thought he was great. I do want to ask you both about Billy though. Oh, I loved Billy. I wish I didn't. I don't know why I did. I feel like it's probably some internalised misogyny where I give far more, I don't know, adoration to the drug-addled man than perhaps I do the drug-addled woman. I just, I admired how committed he was and how much he turned his life around. I maybe feel the same way about Billy as I do Daisy. Like kind of a cliche. It reminds me of the Bradley Cooper character in A Star is Born. Ah. Easy to sympathise with, but kind of like expected from a make-believe rock star. I think it was about Billy. I don't know if it's as much internalised misogyny as it is. Like you didn't see Daisy have to sacrifice as much as Billy did. And I really do think he tried so hard to overcome all the demons that were inside of him in order to make his life for his family a good one. And you didn't see that with Daisy. She didn't really try to give up anything and she didn't have to that was her prerogative but you saw Billy try time and time and time again to do it and I just thought that was a huge credit to him like the loyalty and the commitment was incredible guys that segues very very nicely into today's last segment but before we get there let's hear from Sarah Hi guys, Sarah here. Another month, another fantastic book. So a big thank you for this one. I absolutely loved Daisy Jones and the Six. My mind was completely blown at the end of the book when the author's identity was revealed. I absolutely loved that it was Julia putting the pieces of her parents' life together. And I just thought that was such an iconic way to round out such a fantastic story. Iconic is exactly the way I would describe it as well. Annabelle, first of all, did the twist get you? Did you see that coming? 
No, I didn't see it coming. I liked the ending, but I didn't love it. I wouldn't call it iconic. There was oh, something about... <laughs> good God. There was something... Like, I still rate the book very highly. We'll get to that in the next section. But <laughs> I it just felt kind of unbelievable to me that there was no slip up throughout the interview, throughout the book. Like, the whole, don't refer to me by my name and don't refer to me as your daughter when she was talking to Billy. That seems, like, kind of unbelievable to me. And then it seemed like, for the sake of a shock ending, they decided to do this shocking thing and have Julia as the interviewer and it just there was something about it that left me feeling a bit eh. I'm surprised by that I mean it does seem believable to me that they would change her name for the sake of it all because assuming that like this is a really meta and complicated way to look at the book but assuming that this is a real book and a real band if you are reading a memoir or watching a music documentary back you don't want to kind of think about it from this perspective of the child like you want to think about it from the perspective of being a music lover and it makes sense to me that Julia would kind of separate herself from that. I thought it was a very iconic way to slot herself into the narrative in the way that it happened like the way it almost like put a break on the whole thing and was like hang on a second I'm inserting myself here and I just thought it was beautifully done. Mm, I completely agree. It really oh, got no. me like sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I think I'm a bit arrogant and I like try and figure out the twists before they oh yeah come. I simply didn't think there was going to be a no, twist me in either. this so when I read it I was like what the fuck and I didn't think it needed a twist no I thought the book yeah. was good enough like and I, I thought it just added to it it didn't detract but I genuinely didn't think the book needed anything bit of extra spice never goes astray <laughs> like I really enjoyed it I really loved the twist I think it was incredible I do want to though read out one of the top reviews on Goodreads and by top I meant very negative review that got a lot of upvotes so I know that we all really enjoyed this book I just want to posit a different perspective and hear what your thoughts are this book didn't touch me whatsoever I was bored and the story and some actions of the characters felt repetitive to the point that I skipped paragraphs everything was so predictable and dialogue even felt pretentious sometimes trying to be meaningful while actually being pseudo deep like 80% of Tumblr you know (laughs) What do you guys say to that? If anyone's listening going, I really resonate with that. That was the second highest review on Goodreads. Was it written by a man? No, I believe the username feels feminine, but okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ascribe gender Fair. based on a username. The only thing that gets me is that end line, like pseudo deep, like 80% of Tumblr, it just feels that that feels snobbery and a bit pretentious to me. Mm. Like you can accuse the language in this book of being pretentious, but that feels pretentious. Right. The repetition qualm that this person had, I don't understand. Isn't that what readers want to be able to get to know characters and be able to get to know them? little quirks and their personality traits. Like patterns of behaviour. Exactly. I just think, and I also couldn't predict a lot of the things that were going to happen. Sometimes a moment was being set up and I was like, maybe they'll kiss or maybe this will happen. Maybe (laughs) we'll do this and like you'll get back into alcohol or whatever. But the book always surprised me. So I just flatly disagree with that reviewer. No hate, but... I flatly disagree (laughs) too. Before we get to our ratings, I just have to give a shout out to one of the most iconic quotes in this book, which is very, very early on when Daisy says, I had absolutely no interest in being somebody else's muse. I am not a muse. I am the somebody. End of fucking story. I don't even like, I thought that was a bit cliche. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was like, oh, come on. Like, like these characters are so layered and like a, have such confidence but then such little confidence. And then it's like, oh, don't be just like blatantly arrogant like that. Like, I don't know. I don't even know if you believe that. Not you. I mean, Daisy. I'm talking to Daisy. <laughs> My favourite quote was like way more earnest and like you probably <laughs> even missed it. It was so random. But it really like stopped me and made me think about people. And it was from Billy and he said, and it was towards the end as we were kind of prefacing the fact that he and Daisy were going to be splitting forever. 
Some people will never stop being themselves and you think it drives you crazy, but it is the very thing you will think about when they are gone, when you don't have them in your life anymore. And I think about that a lot. I mean, it sounds kind of morbid, but you think about death and like losing people. But the ways that you remember people are often by their quirks, the very things that annoyed you so much at the time. And I just thought it was a very observant line. Mm. What about the very ending where we read that email from Camilla? What did you think of that? You didn't like that. I was like, oh, of course she's telling Julie to like get her dad together with the girl she loved. (laughs) I kind of liked it because I was like, look at this, like love can take so many forms. Like love in this book is not black and white, right? It's not (laughs) black and white at all. Love has taken so many forms in this book and I love the idea that they can explore a relationship after. I don't even think they ever would, but I liked it that was there. You're making me feel like a basic bitch, Annabelle. That was like my favourite part. I read that and I was like, yes, that's exactly how it should end. And now I feel so basic that they wanted that. No, that part reiterated why I loved Camilla but as an ending to the story it again I keep tying this back to other things that I've watched it reminded me kind of of the end of How I Met Your Mother where Robin ends up with I haven't seen it (laughs) again you watch the like how I mean it's not that obscure but to watch the end of How I Met Your Mother most of us dropped off after like season five it's just it seems to me a bit cliche again that at the end he will go back to the woman he once loved before but never really got to delve into that love. But I don't think it was, like, the strong love that he was finally being reunited for. I think, like, Camilla was the hero love, but it's like, why don't I explore, like, this subplot love? Mm. All right, it's time <laughs> to hear your ratings. Can I go first? Yes, I always have to go first. I'm pulling it out for the <gasps> first time. <gasps> Me too! This is a 10 out of 10. Mine's oh, 10 out of 10. <laughs> I was like nervous before this recording because I was like, am I going to be an idiot on record? Ten's a big call, but I give it a ten. Oh, you should have started with me. (laughs) This is one of my favourite books ever. If not, Pachinko, This and Normal People, top three. Loved it. I would give it a 9.8. Oh, <laughs> you had way more gripes with the book than 0.2 out of 10. You can't hate no, everything about the ending, then give it a 9.8. No, the ending was still satisfying for me as a reader and it didn't detract anything away from the rest of the book. Like I read this book in like a day or two. I don't even remember how long it took. It was that good. I just think I will always be nitpicky and I will always have something that doesn't really feel real to me. But I mean, it's a book and it's fiction, so yeah, it won't it, be real. It's fundamentally not real. I mean, a lot of pressure on next month's book I always don't like I want to go back to a time when Michelle Andrews hadn't read yeah. Daisy Jones and the Six this is the book where I'm like fuck I wish I could read that again for the first time and enjoy it and just turn page after page and be so enthralled but you're right Zara pressure is on next month Nick Hornby sure you're not listening if you happen to be you've really got to bring your A game because guys we will be tackling just like you as Mish said, Just Like You is by the best-selling author Nick Hornby. It's a novel that follows 41-year-old Lucy as she falls in love with a man more than 20 years her junior. If Nick Hornby's name sounds familiar, that is because he has written High Fidelity and about a boy among a whole host of other books. He has sold millions of copies of his work. He is a very well-renowned writer, so pressure is absolutely on this book. <laughs> Make sure you grab a copy either via the link in our show notes or via your local bookstore. See you guys next Next month. Bye. Bye. Bye.